The Black and White Network presents House Calls, a show that deals with the major health issues of the day discussed with prominent doctors and researchers on the subject. And now, here's Dan and Daryl. Welcome back to Black and White. And joining us today is Chris Briggs, who has a probably a difficult story to tell, but I think it was important that we bring him on and let him tell the story about what happened in his life. So welcome to the show, Chris, and tell us the story. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah, so basically the long arc of this story starts in 2003 and four when I decided that I was gonna jump out of my corporate job and, and set up my own consulting firm. It was kind of my version of the American dream. I didn't want any bosses, didn't wanna to go to meetings, just wanted to do what I was good at, which was communications and fundraising. And I did it. And I, the only reason I, I had a right, a reason to do it is I had done due diligence, make sure you know, plenty of income coming in. And also I had to worry about healthcare. We, we, my wife and I um, have a big family, always wanted one. And so I had to make sure I had enough healthcare. And back in 2003 and four, before Obamacare, there, I found out that there were so many choices, a dozen or more that I could choose from. I had to bring in an insurance broker every couple of years to explain to me all the options that I had. Uh, it was pretty well tailor-made to our family, right? Mm -hmm. So we had this plan and uh, it, it went great. And then I remember when the uh, Obama and his crew passed the Affordable Care Act and I turned to my wife and I said, there is no way you're going to basically begin the socialization of the insurance products market and we're going to keep our plan, keep our doctors and it's going to get cheaper. Yeah. In fact, just, just the reverse is going to happen. We're going we're gonna to get, we're going to lose our plan. We're going to lose all our doctors and it's going to get way more expensive. That's precisely what happened. In 2014, when this thing went into effect in January, I think uh, three weeks later, we got a notice canceling the plan that we'd had for years, which was great. Uh, could go to any doctor, basically in Northern Virginia, where I live, could go to, out of state, go across the, the water to Johns Hopkins, for instance, which has got great specialist care. Um, that all ended. We were not able to go any, almost anywhere. Uh, and the premiums was the first thing we noticed. It nearly doubled. So uh, right out of the gate, you know, uh, which was a shock. And I, I just couldn't believe that. And then um, we lost, again, so lost the doctors, lost, lost the plan, lost the doctors, the, the kids who we had just couldn't go to their specialist. Um, and then, uh, you know, by the time 2017 rolled around, I was, it was so high on premium side that I had to go into the marketplace and take the subsidies. We're closing in on $3,000 a month before the ACA. My premiums were easily below a thousand dollars for a family. I, I have nine kids and the daughter I'm about to talk about is, is the youngest of nine. Um, and uh, so expenses were high and the coverage is very limited. One of the things you may not realize about this unless you are under this plan is that uh, it's, the plans are sold by zip code um, and the medical facilities that, that are covered are only covered, they're within a very short radius of your zip code. So basically the ACA has basically tied us to the land that we live on. We're basically medical serfs. We can't leave the, the, the region we're in and we can't go to specialists even across, across the water. Um, so, but you know, we had to pay it. So, so we kind of did, we had to take the subsidies eventually. Um, but then my daughter got diagnosed in 2015 with cancer. And that's when the costs really started to, to skyrocket. And we found out about the other side of the, of the cost spectrum of the Affordable Care Act. And that is the maximum out of pocket deductible expenses. You know, before the ACA with, with a big family that I had, we had nine kids then too. Colette was, was, still, was, was an infant. Um, our maximum out of pocket deductible was maybe $4,500 for the whole family. Um, it's like 17,500 now. It's just an extraordinary explosion. And in fact, you know, with, with eight, eight kids who are you know, healthy, one with cancer plus mom and dad, you can imagine how much healthcare we consume. And under the ACA, you know, we wouldn't see a penny of insurance money until uh, November of every year and then it would reset in January. So 
I'm still paying off the debt, taking care of all my family, plus this, this little kid with cancer. Um, but our problems are we're going to get way worse and expensive because, you know, Trump was elected president, as you know, in 2016. And then 2017, in, in 2017, he, he looked around and, you know, sent out a tweet in mid-2017 and said, you know, why are we sending all this money as subsidies to the insurance giants for worse care at greater cost? And the ACA is set up in such a way that if the insurance giants get nervous about how their government largesse is going to get delivered to them, they have the right to pull out of the marketplace. And that's precisely what happened. For 2018, within about 72 hours, 500,000 people in, in my, just in my area were told they lost their insurance for 2018 for the following year. Uh, that happened to us. We, we, the plan we had was, was basically they, Anthem withdrew. There was one plan that we could buy for 2018, as we discovered later in the year, Signet Connect. The problem with Signet Connect is that it had never covered the hospital in Northern Virginia, which is the only hospital I could go to that has a pediatric cancer ward. So for 2018, I was facing an insurance products market that had one plan in it. I used to have almost a dozen or more. This one plan didn't would cover her clinic, which was great, but it would not cover the hospital. And that hospital is really key for a kid covering from cancer. Uh, chemo is delivered several different ways. One of them is in the spinal column to make sure that this, the cancer cells don't con, you know, coagulate or, or congregate in the spine. So they and fully anesthetize the, these children, flip them over on their stomachs, and then put a, a needle the size of your pinky in her spinal column to kill the, the cancer cells. This is only done in a hospital setting. So if we don't have a hospital setting to go to, because it's not covered by the ACA, we're effectively without cancer coverage. And that's, that's what happened. So I, I panicked. I called uh, the news media. I had, because I, I'm in communications, I got a hold of the Washington Post. They came out and did a news story on us. I retained a lawyer. We could not force Cigna Connect to sell us a plan. So for 2018, uh, I had to do the unthinkable. I had to close down part of my company, sort of end my version of the American dream and go work for a friend's organization that had an insurance plan. But it was, again, it was like $3,000 or more for premiums. So we had to raise money from family and friends to pay for that. And so we got through 2018 okay. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, one of the things that I did do um, in, in 2019, in, tw in 2017, in preparation for this, I called Senator Warner's office, our senator. I said, look, you guys created this problem. I mean, until you guys did the Affordable Care Act, I mean, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, you know, to 2008 meltdown, I could buy insurance products. I could buy multiple insurance products without fail. You guys get involved and tie the care of the body to the state. And I am now without insurance that covers this little girl. You need to fix this problem. And they couldn't fix it in time for me. You know, as you may remember, you may recall, your listeners may not know this, but the way the ACA is set up, I have to decide in December of the previous year, the plan that I'm going to have for the following year. And I can't leave that plan. So they went to work, Senator Warner's office, you know, tried to get this thing to work. It didn't work out. Um, so I ended up having to do this 2018 sort of workaround. And Signet Connect decided to cover the clinic in 2019 because of the political pressure that I put on them. So we got that plan. Um, and then 2020 was, uh, was upon us. And I had to go back into the marketplace, pick the plan for 2020. Um, there was two more plans. So I had three plans now. And I was so grateful to Big Brother that I now had three plans where I used to have a dozen, but I only had one previously. And we picked uh, the Anthem plan that was available. It was a better plan. And we did, did the due diligence and tried to figure out, you know, would it cover the clinic? Would it cover the hospital? And they said yes to both. So we've got that plan. I figured, okay, maybe we're done. And maybe we've sort of passed through this one episode. My daughter's going to get covered at her clinic and at her hospital. all look good. Well, mid-March 2020, I get this letter from the clinic that this is when pandemic is raging. You know, coronavirus is everywhere. We're all in lockdown. 
And it's in the letter said, we've just been notified by Anthem that as of April 1st, two weeks from the day I get the letter, Anthem is no longer going to cover this clinic in Northern Virginia. It's the only clinic that it's like the hospital. There's only one of each clinic and hospital. You can, can't go to any, there's no other institution to go to. If you can't go to these institutions, you have no, you can't get cancer care for your child. They're not going to cover the clinic as of April 1st. So I called up Senator Warner's office again. I said, you need to fix this problem because it, I'm in kind of in a worst case scenario here. So they, they ended up calling Anthem um, and bullied that insurance provider back in over the weekend you know, to come back into the marketplace. So one, one point I want to make, the first thing we called wasn't the Senator's office. We called the ACA itself and said, okay, you know, we just got our insurance plan canceled out from underneath us. Um, what about that signal plan we had last year? Isn't that still for sale in my zip code? They said, oh, of course it's for sale. We, we haven't gotten rid of that. I said, well, listen, can you give me a waiver? to buy that plan. You just, you know, the other one just kind of canceled out underneath me. They knew about that. They said, well, no, because it's not a qualifying event. The fact that you have lost your plan isn't like, you know, losing, getting a divorce or moving or getting a new job. This doesn't count. So no, and they hung up the phone up. So I ended up calling Senator Warner and he bullied back into the marketplace of private insurance company. And as I told the, I was, you know, as you, as you may know, I, I'm sure you know, I was brought up in you know, the house Republicans called me in to testify about this. And I said, I hope you guys realize that I'm kind of a hero in this case, twice in three year period, I managed to use my knowledge and resources and contacts to get this little girl battling cancer back under insurance coverage. Um, but my successes are actually a failure. Because if I have to, you know, kind of jury rig ad hoc exercises of state power to make the insurance providers and the medical system work together, this is not a marketplace. This is just, it's a, it's a collusive network of insurance giants and, a, and the government trying to make things up as they go. And, you know, one thing I, I, I tell everybody who will listen to me is that, you know, you ne we never judge the health of an institution by how well the, the well-connected and educated are, you know, how, how, how much they can get healthcare. I mean, I'm, I get some, a lot of fancy education. I work for a think tank. I'm in communications. I knew how to kind of make these things happen for my kid. And thank God I did. I saved her life and all the kids in the clinic who didn't know this was happening. Their parents had no idea. I say, you know, this, these plans were good for them too. But, you know, the Soviet Union used to be, operate this way. The well-connected and politically astute could get what they needed. But the ones, the people on the periphery, that's how we judge institutions. They, they go to the wall. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that, that we would hear all the time, we heard it in both cases when I made these complaints and had this problem, these, these staffers at, at these political offices would say, well, wouldn't it be great, Mr. Briggs, if we just took politics out of it and we had single payer? And I said, are you kidding me? Are, are you kidding me? Like that doesn't make things better. Bad ideas don't get better just because you make them bigger, they get worse. Um, and, you know, I, I said, look, you know, to, I told this to the, the House Republicans, twice in a three-year period, I had huge problems on expense, that's true. But my real problem twice in three years wasn't high expense, is that there was no insurance product to buy for any amount of money that would allow me to take care of my daughter in Northern Virginia suffering from cancer. In other words, my problem was scarcity. High prices in a, in a free economy, as you know, Dan, mean that a provider can jump in at the same or better price and provide the same or better services. In a closed economy like this, high prices mean something completely different. It means you're on, the engine's overheating. You're on the way to having nothing to purchase. And that's where I ended up. But I said, if you listen to me, you know, I told these guys, scarcity doesn't go away under single payer. Scarcity isn't ad hoc and circumstantial as it is in my case. Ad hoc, under single payer, 
Scarcity becomes institutionalized. It's policy. Lots of examples I could give you, but the most dramatic is you know, out of the UK recently, there was an article just in the last couple of weeks, the NHS doctors, the National Health Service doctors are very worried that cancer survival rates are going to go in reverse in England. Because of why? Because there's not enough cancer doctors. That is scarcity made policy, made institutional. Recent, just last week, there was a report out of, uh, again, out of England, which has a socialized healthcare system that the squad and AOC want to impose on all of us. There's like 6.3 million citizens of, of, of the United Kingdom that need surgeries, you know, hip surgery, cancer treatments, that can't get them because there just aren't enough doctors. And if you wanted to, uh, I told the House uh, Committee on Oversight, you want an example closer to home, try the Veterans Administration. This is government-run hospitals where you can die in line waiting for care. That's sort of my story in, you know, in a nutshell. And I fear that if we don't repeal this law, um, my daughter's story will be everybody's daughter's story. And then every parent will know what, what I've been through with my wife. Mm -hmm. Watched, thanks to the ACA, the institutions of medicine collude with the disease against her. You, you end up fighting the disease, but also the government agencies that make it impossible to get care. So um, do you have a social media site where people can follow what you're doing and have done? Well, so I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a policy, uh, I'm a, the Publications and Public Affairs Director for Independent Institute. So independent.org is where you can go and see my stuff. I, I post there. And uh, do you have a special page? Uh, well, there's a page for me. You can just look me up. Yep, Chris Briggs. And all, all my testimony is there. Okay. Yep. Um, we've been speaking with... Uh, Chris Briggs, and we'll be back in just a moment to continue the story. The midterm elections are coming fast. The Biden administration has failed you, the American voter, in so many ways. It's hard to keep track of all the things we need to be concerned about. I want to focus your attention on one issue that I believe affects hundreds of millions of Americans every day. It's an issue that you can follow every day without the government trying to spin the issue away. These two images will bring everything you should be concerned about into focus. The first image is a gallon of milk, and the second is a gallon of gas. You can ask any American how much did they spend to fill their tank full of gas. 50, 60, 70, $100 or more every time. Ask yourself, what were you spending before Biden became president? Half as much? Even less? Your family budget is being shrunk because of inflation, and you may find yourself having to make hard decisions about feeding your family or feeding your car to make money to pay for gas and try and feed your family. Every time you pull into a gas station between now and the midterms, watch the dial spin away your money. Ask yourself who is responsible to make it spin higher and higher. When you walk into the voting booth next November, before you pull the lever or mark the ballot, if you see somebody with a D after their name, think of the D uh, standing for people responsible for taking your dollars. It's time to vote. It's time to vote Republican. It's time to vote for Heath Loftus for Senator from the state of Arkansas. Welcome back. We're talking to Chris Briggs about his adventure through Obamacare and the challenge for his child who was dealing with cancer. And I said to him when we went to the break, I wanted to focus on the human and personal side of this story. How did it affect the, the nine children? How did it affect you and your wife? So as you can imagine, it's the worst call, a phone, a phone call that a parent can get. Um, we had uh, interesting little side story, which I've not told anybody. 
uh, except here, um, we had uh, decided in 2015 to take our, our, our family on a, a vacation in late August, early September down to Jamestown. We'd never seen, we'd been to, we'd been to uh, Williamsburg and played, but never been to Jamestown. So we went down there and we rented a big house and, you know, kids got, you know, got out inside and played and went to all the sites, got bitten by mosquitoes. And a couple of, one of my kids came down with Lyme disease as a result of that. Um, and, uh, she's my, my sort of star athlete, uh, daughter, and she ended up having this sort of paralysis in her arm. So we had to get her treated and out of an abundance of caution, we got all the other kids tested just to make sure. And they all came back negative. We didn't test little Colette cause she hadn't really, she was at the time two and a half. She hadn't been outside much. So we didn't need to think the need to do that. But by late October around Halloween, we noticed that she was having similar symptoms, leg pain, great lethargy, fatigue. And so we, uh, we decided, well, let's just get her tested out of an abundance of caution. Maybe there's, there's an issue there, although we didn't think anything of it, really. And uh, the doctor called, us, called my wife up and said, well, we don't know if you have Lyme disease, but she certainly has leukemia. Wow. My wife, I was, sort of ne- I, was, I was actually on the phone when she got that call. We were sort of in the same room together. And I saw her just collapse to the floor and just unable to get up. So I had to hang up the phone and pick her up. And, uh, and I heard the news. And so we, we scrambled and threw Colette in the back of our, you know, in, in her car seat in our minivan. And where we live in Virginia, we had a two hour drive through through a rush hour traffic. It's around five o'clock. And uh, they said, look, you know, you have limited time to get here to save her life. I mean, the blood levels are so low that she could expire while she's in your car. Mm. I mean, it was, it was tremendous pressure. We got there, they saved her life. Um, and uh, we, we had to, you know, I came back on that weekend to tell, to tell the kids, we gathered them together and said, well, your, your sister's sicker than we thought. She's got cancer. Um, the younger one, the really young ones, we couldn't tell that too, just because they were too small. And the older ones um, just sort of collapsed in front of us as well. And, you know, I mean, I have to say there, there's a lot of reasons in our worldview to have a large family. And this is probably the, the best one is that when you have a really sick family member, particularly of a child, I mean, what this kid needs is a lot of attention, care, and love. And uh, the more people to do that to that kid, the better. And we had, we had plenty. So, I have to say my, my kids have really uh, done things for their little sister that I didn't, I didn't know was possible in, in, in children. And that was uh, a great sort of witness to us for, uh, of Christian virtue. How did your, um, once your wife got over the, and you got over the initial shock, how did her cancer change you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I'll just also say this. I, I remember I, I used to think about, you know, when I was growing up and sort of coming of age, um, we're, we're a Christian household. Uh, I'm a Roman Catholic, as is my wife, as are my children. And I always wondered, you know, it's one thing to have faith when times are easy, but would I ever have, what kind of challenge would it be to me to that belief system if so, my daughter innocently started to suffer a terrible disease? Like, would it change my faith in God? And I have to say, you know, on my way into the hospital, I said to myself, well, I'm, I'm, I'm about to find this out, <laughs> you know? And uh, I kept, I kept thinking of the, Dostoevsky has this book called The Brothers Karamazov. And in there, there's a famous accusation that God cannot exist because little children suffer medical torment like my daughter was going through. A good God can have, have a suffering child go through this. And I thought about this. I said, you know, that, what that really boils down to is basically a statement that because of the suffering is so great, better that that child never have been born. I, their quality of life would be so horrible, better they never had seen, seen life. And I thought to myself when it hit me, well, I know the answer to this. I didn't expect to have it. I really wish I didn't have to find this out, but I do know. And I said to my, I told this to my wife and we agreed that 
if the price of knowing my daughter, even for five minutes, was that she would go through this, I would take it just to know her for five minutes because she's a, a person made in the image and likeness of God. It's an immense privilege just even to know your children, even only for five minutes. But that's not really the answer. The question is, what would she say? And I know what she would say. If we told her the price of knowing all of us and knowing the love that we gave her when she's sick and when she's healthy, but the price of that was that you would have this disease and possibly die from it, would you take that bargain, Colette? And her answer was yes, of course. And so the answer to the great question of why, you know, do little children suffer evil innocently doesn't disprove the existence of God. It actually, that kind of response that you would get from her and from us is only possible because God exists. It sort of affirms his existence and his love for humanity. Um, so that's my takeaway from this. And I, so the answer is charity. Love is the answer to that, to that great question. And unfortunately, I had to go through cancer to learn it. But um, I wouldn't surrender that lesson for anything. You think your children experienced the same lesson? All of my children after cancer have gone out and done things with their friends and done, we sort of reintegrated them back into their social life as much as we could, of course, because the pandemic happened just after chemo ended for us. But we, we were reintegrated and they come back to the house and say, you know, dad, we're, we're just different. And, and so why are we different, dad? And I said, well, here's what happened. You have tasted death and we were spared the passing away of your sister, but we could have lost her. And there are many children that we knew in the clinic who did die. And at a very young age, I don't know why this is the case, but for your lives, somehow it's, it's needed that you know these things. Um, so they're wise kind of beyond their years. Colette in particular is very wise beyond her years. Uh, there's not much that scares her. Um, our other children, as we raised them, were sort of ordinarily terrified of doctors and dentists and the white coats and things. My little girl, Colette, doesn't bother her at all. And when pandemic hit, we all started wearing face masks because these kids live in face masks because they, their immune systems are so compromised. Um, didn't phase her. Like this was back to kind of the way things used to be. She was kind of surprised to see her siblings and her parents in face masks. We wore that for a while till we knew kind of what was going on. But, um, but anyway, yeah, so it's been, a, it's been a growing experience that I would not have wished on them. But I, so far, I'm actually really impressed by the way my children have kind of walked away with the right lessons of this. There are a lot of people, myself included, who are very, very concerned that the restrictions that were placed on our children in terms of school and learning and, yes. and distance learning and not being able to interface with grandmother because you could wind up killing your grandmother, right. which I thought was absolutely horrendous. Um, I, I believe we, we don't know the, to the extent that we have damaged our children. Correct. And I'm afraid that it's going to be more difficult than we could possibly think. I, I, you know, one of the things that bothers me, um, I, I write a lot. Uh, I, I write current events commentary for about 35 blogs on a, a rotating basis. Right. And I'm working on a story right now. Um, we have an administration who is basically doing nothing about the border, thinking about getting rid of Title 42 and allowing the illegals to come into the country in a much greater quantity. And in the last 12 months, we had 107,000 
children and young adults who died of overdoses of fentanyl. Correct. That's, and I'm 76, soon to be 77 years of age. That's in a year, one year's time, that's more young people than were killed in the entire Vietnam War. Correct. And we, we killed those Americans in 12 months. And I'm, I'm concerned that, that the children of, of all ages who have come through this pandemic yep. and have lost their focus, um, you, you can't say to a child, you can just go to summer school and make it up. You can't make it up. You can't relive your past. You can't change it. Yep. And, and one of the things that has been talked about recently is not so much about your daughter, but the number of children and adults who were not permitted testing, testing ideas or testing programs for cancer, heart disease, or whatever, and that, that the, the mortality rate um, is, is actually changing dramatically. Uh, more people are dying, not so much just of COVID, but because of other factors, because of what has happened not only to our healthcare system being totally distracted with COVID, not allowing other things to happen, um, and and children and adults to be treated. Uh, it, it just seems to me that we're going to pay a, a huge price, and we don't know how big the price is going to be. Can I make two comments on that? I think you're 100% right. First thing, uh, just a side note. So it would have been infinitely better for my family if I was not part of the fairly successful middle class because I would have been able to take get all the health care that I couldn't get at great expense for my daughter. I could have gotten it for free if I had just been on sort of, if I had been on welfare effectively, right? I mean, this, this, this kind of amazing thing is that the middle class is struggling to get its health care. But if you're indigent uh, and, and if you're illegal, in many cases, you can get the health care you need. This, there's something tremendously wrong about our, our, the, 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 the geometry of our political arrangements that, that makes that possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One one tremendously important thing I think everyone needs to think about, you've touched on it, is that um, through the ACA, which I think is basically, it's it's an authoritarian takeover of of the of the human person by means of medicine. If you can control the care of the body, you can control the spirit of man because there are no spirits walking around. Every spirit you know that's a person has a body attached to it, and so if you can control the medicine by which that spirit and body are fed you know, that, that you, then you have, you have sort of a real problem of, of state power taking over, over the human person. The ACA has gotten us used to that. And we, we are now becoming trained to be okay with the government interfering endlessly in how we treat ourselves medically. Um, and the pandemic just took that training that we've been getting since 2014 and just put that on steroids. So we, you know, the left will never relinquish without a fight the power that it has gained over the citizenry by use of authoritarian medicine. And the display of the incompetence married to what's greater, which is a kind of a, a malevolent spirit about how the citizens ought to be treated when we have medical problems. I mean, the, 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 the damage is untold. And you're right, we won't see it for, for years because these kids, you know, their formative years were, you know, two good solid three years possibly um, being trained to act a certain way, which is contrary kind of the way Americans have always acted.
Right. I'm very worried about that. You know, and once you lose the habit of freedom, it never comes back. Right, right. The, the English are never going to return the care of their bodies back to private citizenry. They're going to be forever dependent on the government pr provision of health care. They've right. lost the ability. Their muscles have atrophied. Their freedom muscles have atrophied. And, you know, in a culture, once that goes, it's extraordinarily hard, if, if, if not impossible, to get back. And that's why I mean, the more we do this to ourselves, the less like Americans we will be. And freedom will just be, you know, like a, sort of like a Mayan temple covered in the jungle of, of state power. So did I understand you to say that your, your daughter has survived? So, yeah, she is in what, so they, they hit these kids really hard in the case of my daughter, almost for three years with chemo. And then they stop it cold and then they wait and see what happens. And there's a five-year period where they wait to see if it's going to come back. If it does, it'll likely kill her. She's right at the end of that five-year period. So we're more or less out of the woods on this. Although, you know, for the rest of her life, she's going to have to go back for these testing. You know, one thing I need to bring out to you, if you let me, one final point, which I think is really important. I told this to the, the House Oversight Committee. Um, and I got this point from a friend that I got, I made a, a close friend over this, uh, this trial that we've been through with a guy named Michael Cannon, who's the healthcare policy expert at Cato Institution. Brilliant, very smart guy, brilliant guy. And he called me up one day because we were friends of friends. And he said, Chris, your problem's way worse than you realize. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Tell me why. And he said, well, here's the thing. The Obamacare regime is not an insurance regime. It is effectively a scheme. I would say this, Michael didn't say it, but I, I would say it's kind of a Ponzi scheme to pay for all of our medical bills. We're shifting one, you know, money from one end of the bathtub to the other just to pay for medicine. It's not an insurance regime. The actual science is very weak behind this. He said, as a result of that, since your daughter got sick under a non-insurance regime effectively, she is permanently uninsurable. So if we ever do return real insurance back to the American people, actuarially sound, individually tailored, automatically renewable, in other words, the kind of plan that I used to have, if we ever give those back to the American people, she can never own one of those plans and I can never buy it for her either. And he, he said, here's the logic and it's irrefutable. You cannot buy car insurance for an automobile that's already had the accident. She's had the accident of getting cancer. Silly girl, she got too sick too soon. She's permanently uninsurable. She said, even if we do repeal this, she will be forced to be on a, some form of government healthcare for the rest of her life. And he said, but it's, you know, and I said, well, Michael, I mean, my daughter's not alone here because that's, that's the really hidden secret here. There's a lot of people, millions now that have gotten so sick under Obamacare that they can never get insurance again, even if we do repeal it. And the Democrats know this and all they have to do is wait. And there'll be so many sick people now that are now permanently uninsurable. You cannot repeal Obamacare. You will be forced to go into full state takeover of medicine. Um, so my plea to Congress was, look, the clock is ticking. And I told the Republicans, look, please, when you come into power, do and you get the House and you get the Senate back, and if you're lucky enough to get the presidency, do not give us any more Paul Ryan-style tax cuts. I mean, I love tax cuts. I don't want to pay more taxes. But in an order of priority, the authoritarian takeover of medicine, which is a way of controlling the human person, is way more important. We should have followed Trump's lead here and abolish Obamacare. Trump came into office wanting to do three things. Take care of China and their predatory trade practices build the wall so citizenship actually means something and let's get rid of obamacare because structure donald trump knows this structurally that is that is destroying the american healthcare marketplace which is a huge part of our economy instead we got tax cuts which what can the other side do they can either repeal them or they can do what they're doing now which is destroy them by inflation and so where are your tax cuts now and we're stuck with obamacare even so 
You know, so Republicans need to know, get with the program and figure out what they need to do to get this law repealed. And I'm really tired of people, well, you know, what's your plan? What's your plan? I mean, the reality is in a free market economy, the glory and strength of it is that there is no plan. It's that billions and billions of private decisions on how to take care of yourself get met with as many decisions on the other side by those who want to take care of you because they're going to be profitable doing it. That's how you take care of people. There is no plan. It's uh, the fact that you don't have a plan is, is the free market's very strength. Nobody had a plan to create the iPhone. Nobody had a plan to create the hundreds and hundreds of apps that you can now have on it. But yet we have these things. We need to sell healthcare like we sell the iPhone. I think we can do it. We just lack the courage. Chris, uh, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, but it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And again, please tell people how they can follow what you're doing. So as I said, I'm public affairs counsel for a really interesting think tank out of Oakland, California called Independent Institute, and you can find it at independent.org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And we'll be right back. Good job. Very okay. nice. I talked on a little bit long. I apologize, but. That's all right. I hope I, hope I can help you. Thank you. No, this, is, this has been great. You're, you're the one who gave me the longest time of, of anybody. So I'm truly grateful. Well, that's what we're, that's, there's a method to our math madness that most people like yourself or, or even some politicians are lucky on the national networks. They get six, five, eight minutes. Maybe. Done. Yeah. Maybe. And when I said, we're going to give you basically about 27 minutes, uh, people are, I hear that all the time. Fantastic. How do I get so much time? I said, because. Most people cannot tell the, the, the important story they want to tell in four minutes or six minutes. So you know, yeah, I'm sure we could have done even more. Yeah, when our PR team came back to me, and I had, I'd have done a bunch of these already, and I saw this one. I said, Dan Perkins, for this long? I, I said, this must be a miss. Are you kidding me? Like, this is fantastic. How did you get this? You go, no, this is how, we, this, is how this guy rolls. I said, well, this is great. Because, you, I mean, you know, the, the, the details matter and the story matters. So thank, I'm truly grateful. I am, really. Thank you. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. The Black and White Network presents House Calls, a show that deals with the major health issues of the day discussed with prominent doctors and researchers on the subject. 